This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court has significantly curtailed what is known as our deference, the deference courts give to agencies when they interpret or change their interpretations of their own regulations. So what's that mean for regulating going forward? Cato's Will Yateman comments. Our deference, A-U-E-R, is different from Chevron deference. Uh, Chevron deference is the idea that courts uh, ought to defer to uh, administrative agencies' interpretations of statutes. Our deference uh, seems more insidious in a way because it is uh, courts deferring to the interpretations of agencies or the non-interpretations of agencies uh, of their own regulations. Uh, And over time, those interpretations can change with no notice, uh, no comment to the public. The Supreme Court dealt with a case on this recently, uh, and it's it's worth going into because things may have changed a little bit. That's why I mean, it's why I asked you to talk because I'm not sure what's really changed. Our deference still exists, but how has the case Kaiser v. Wilkie that came before the Supreme Court how has that altered uh, what we understand about this kind of judicial deference to regulatory agencies? As with all Supreme Court um, changes in law. We'll have to wait to find out exactly. They sent signals and the lower courts will act upon those signals. However, as I see it and as a lot of learned commentators see it, it is uh, it presents this peculiar case or situation whereby the court announced one result, but all the justifications and reasoning they gave for that result suggests an opposite outcome. And by that, I mean that With a 5-4 vote, the court officially upheld this doctrine, our deference. But due to its insidious nature uh, that that you hinted at, and we can go into some detail if if you'd like, um, but due to these problems, the court, quote, reinforced and expanded on limits to this doctrine. Um, And I think of those two verbs, it's the expanded on that that really uh, took precedence here because the limits in practice gut the doctrine. I mean, such that officially it still exists, but due to these limits, it has been, in the words of Justice Gorsuch, enfeebled and maimed. All right. So the uh, majority opinion here was written by Kagan. Indeed, Justice Kagan, a quick uh, clarification, plurality opinion. So she had uh, three justices joined with her, uh, Sotomayor, Ginsburg, and Breyer, regarding the uh, permissibility or, or the justification, the validity of our, doc- uh, the, our deference, the Our Doctrine, Justice Roberts provided the fifth vote but did not join into this uh, 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 justifying the doctrine. Instead, it was solely out of uh, respect for precedent, stare decisis. So it wasn't a resounding um, – it wasn't a ringing endorsement, if you will, the 5-4. Justice Gorsuch, it appears, has essentially no regard for the idea that uh, – administrative agencies should be allowed to, one, in a sense, make law through regulation and then uh, owe no one uh, anything in terms of interpreting uh, that regulation on an ongoing basis. His dissenting opinion focused, as you intimate, on the insidious nature of this doctrine. His his point was, um, well, to point out, one, the constitutional issues that you hinted at, they get to write these rules that have the force and effect and interpret them. This this combination of functions 
contravenes the separation of powers principle that underlies our, our constitutional order. The, the second problem with our doctrine, again, as noted by Justice Gorsuch, was that it allows agencies to circumvent these procedural safeguards. And, and just in a nutshell, it allows an agency to uh, issue an interpretation that that effectively alters behavior you know, of regulated parties. It says this is officially non-binding. This this document right here will not does not have the force and effect of law. Then it goes to court. The agency does receives this deference in a, a court order that effectively grants it, uh, lends it the effect of law. So those were the two, I guess, insidious aspects of our doctrine to which Justice Gorsuch, uh, to which Justice Gorsuch uh, uh, cried foul. And ultimately, however, he was uh, he was dismayed by the court's unwillingness to go all the way. And at the same time, effectively got the doctrine. So he noted this kind of incongruity. He said, we've got this zombified doctrine that we've somehow, for some reason, clung to. At the same time, it no longer has any practical effect. Is that uh, in part uh, just the court's unwillingness in general to gut doctrines and throw out previous cases? You're, you're talking about uh, how this uh, deference is uh, insidious uh, in specific ways. Uh, Ilya Shapiro told me recently the our case, A-U-E-R, the actual case that established this doctrine, an agency introduced in a in a footnote in its filings with the court, a new interpretation of a regulation that the court essentially ratified then and there. That's really been the, the word of the term, if you will, uh, stare decisis. And what you speak of is that which is identified with Robert's leadership, that of not rocking the boat. Here, some torturous reasoning goes into not rocking the boat. I mean, by sure, we upheld the doctrine out of stare decisis, but at the same time, the doctrine looks nothing like it has for its entire existence. So um, to that end, it, it's it, it's sort of lip service to this principle. But you know, as, as to what's actually occurring in practice, we'll see the lower courts, but the signals they gave effectively kill this doctrine. All right. So the doctrine is zombified, uh, to use Justice Gorsuch's term. But uh, if you're in a regulatory agency looking at the court's opinion and wanting to, uh, in, a, in a good faith manner, comply with it, how does that change what you do? Two really big limitations imposed. I mean, they set forth a number, but substantially speaking, two are going to have a big impact. The first is the court's requirement that before it grants deference, the agency's interpretation must reflect the agency's expertise. Uh, sounds simple enough, but there's actually quite a few interpretations, regulatory interpretations out there that don't necessarily touch upon the agency's expertise. And and here I'm speaking specifically about procedural rules. There, there's that famous line, you know, give me the right to dictate the procedure and I'll dictate the outcome. That's very much true of administrative pro policymaking. Um, here, to the extent that a procedural element is raised in a challenge before a court, According to the court, per the court's language, the, the indications they gave on these procedural matters, the agencies will no longer receive deference, and, and that's a, that's a big um, that's a big shift, a big change. The other, even bigger uh, limitation on the doctrine, and this effective this was the mortal blow to the doctrine. This effectively kills it. Was the court suggests that only those, or that it will be rare, that an interpretation that is inconsistent 
will receive our difference. That's huge. I'll put it this way. If it is a regulatory provision of any consequence and it's existed for longer than one presidential administration, then the chances are vanishingly small that the, the, the interpretation has remained consistent. That is to say, if the court, if the court's suggestion here is followed by the lower courts, and if agencies will not get deference for inconsistent regulatory interpretations, oh boy, then that is a huge blow to our deference. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, to the extent uh, administrative agencies are you know, promulgating regulation and then uh, producing documents that are supposed to be interpretations of that regulation, they don't have to present those guidance documents to the public, do they? We're talking about a murky area of law here. So uh, yes, in principle, notice is fundamental to the applicability of any government action with the force and effect of law or, or that compels behavior or that alters behavior. However, it has not been uncommon or, or controversies have come before the court, routinely so, whereby these measures are tucked away in press releases or are tucked away in, in memos that aren't published. Um, that are tucked away in in, in dicta language, uh, uh, informally communicated, you know, via presentations and whatnot, PowerPoint slides. So, so yes, um, to to the extent that that notice requirement, that that notice necessity, has been emphasized by the courts, by the courts' language, by the the reemphasis and and expanding on the, the existing limitations to our, in particular. Um, on this requirement for consistent interpretations, um, that's big. That 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 this latter one, that for consistency, strongly suggests that agencies will not get to, uh, will, will no longer get away with springing an interpretation uh, upon the regulated public. Say, or for example, um, in, in an amicus brief to the Supreme Court at the very last second. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 